This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast, this one on a Wednesday, July the 28th, 2021, and absolutely college football. That's right, it's in the air, and we're going to talk a lot of college football with you here on the podcast today. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, joined as always on Wednesdays by site publisher Tim Watts. And Tim, a very special third voice on the podcast today, Art. You know, I, I think he's pretty special anyway. He's special enough that I'm wearing my uh, 15-year-old's white T-shirt. <laughs> You're medium? Right All now. Right. This podcast, I got the tidy whitey on. <laughs> Josh Pate, welcome to the uh, BOL podcast. Yeah, it is. It's nice to meet you, Tim. I'll, I'll get to learn more about you in the future. But this is old hat for Travis Ryer and I. This is the third different show. That he and I, now that I think about it, have been on old school back in Columbus, which I'm not even legally allowed to talk about anymore. Southern <laughs> built by BOL. So, yeah, look, I listen to the podcast all the time, so it's very resourceful. I can just get the listening for this one out of the way by being on it. And so I just think it makes sense for everyone. Yeah, Josh and I go back to the old, I would say, double A days before Josh got the call up officially to the big leagues. Yeah, we were down there in double A toiling just trying to make it up to the show. And Josh has always done super, super work with late kick and just his coverage really of college football in general with an emphasis on the Southeastern conference. So if you've seen Josh on his YouTube channel, which I'm sure by now, based on the subscription numbers, you are a part of that. You have seen Josh in his great work there, both uh, on YouTube, but certainly as a part of 24 seven sports.com. Network, you know that uh, Josh, big proponent of the uh, of the fitness. So, Josh, we got to start out with: was it legs and chest day today, Josh, or was it maybe just legs? A little too early in the week, isn't it, to do the California workout, or is it never too early for some some bicep work? Well, I'm not naturally thick ankled, so I'm a person who does have to work on legs if you ever want them to look halfway decent in jeans. And um, <laughs> they closed my gym down last week. Oh. And- yeah, so I had to. I'm a member of the Middle Tennessee Y now, and that is 16 locations for anyone interested. Good deal. So I've gone to the two leg per week format, Travis. I know you emailed me that format you used to use back in the day. Correct. And I'm using that one. And then for Watts, I mainly use his cardio routine. Uh, oh, he's sure. a Peloton guy. Yeah, that Peloton lifestyle, it's not for the faint of heart. So you while try to smoking make the best a cigar. Yeah, while <laughs> smoking a cigar adds a degree of difficulty to that. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. The best part is Josh was sitting in a parking lot like a high teenager who found his girlfriend drinking a milkshake with another guy texting me completely hurt like they are walking past me with the dumbbells. They have <laughs> closed my gym. They are walking past me with the uh, with the um, with the dumbbells in their hand. Yeah, I think Josh would uh, Josh's workout would probably put Watts and myself six feet under at this point. I'm very much a geriatric fitness person. I've graduated. I guess you can say it's graduated. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but I'm dumbbells. I'm the light dumbbells around the neighborhood walk old man. And I've even added a stroller now for the dog. So nothing screams old, old man, like those couple of things, but Hey guys, we've got football. We've got football, more on the NFL side of things right now. Trevor Lawrence back on a practice field this morning in Jacksonville, Florida, working out with Urban Meyer in the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm pretty excited about that. Tim, you really excited about the 
The start of the Jameis Winston era, maybe, with your Saints. Hell no. <laughs> I went from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston. I mean, I'm curious to see what he can do. We all know he's got some talent. Um, I'm interested. I am interested to see how the uh, Saints adjust. I mean, there's a lot of adjustments. Still a super talented team, a lot of good football players. Um, I don't know what they're going to do at the quarterback position where they have seemingly like $30 million invested or whatever it is. But I'm excited for NFL um, in general. Absolutely. And uh, it's all here. And it'll crank up more so on the college front next week. The Alabama Crimson Tide set to take to the practice fields one week from Friday. So we'll have complete coverage for you there, of course, at BamaOnline.com. Josh Pate with Lake Kick and his work with us. Certainly, Alabama is the defending national championships. will be a big part of his agenda. Let me ask you this, guys. When we look at this Alabama team heading into the start of fall camp, What's the one big thing that you're going to have your attention focused on when they get to work? Is it as simple as the offense? And then we'll talk about maybe one aspect of this next Alabama team that we're not talking enough about. What about it, Josh? What's what's the big thing? I I'm really fascinated, obviously, in the overall ceiling of that offense we saw last year. If you go back to preview magazine culture last year, all people can talk about is you're losing this many offensive linemen, a couple of first round wide receivers, obviously a generational quarterback and kind of forgot that Mac Jones got four starts under his belt to end that last season. And so it wasn't like he was brand new green off the vine, kind of like Bryce Young will be this year. Um, I, I think the ceiling overall for that unit is still elite just based on the raw talent on campus. But one of the particular facets, I guess you'd say, that I'm really interested to see is with their transition at receiver. Uh, and not lacking skill, but lacking proven production out there and knowing how integral Najee Harris became in the receiving game out of the backfield. When you look at the Brian Robinson types, but Jace McClellan, who's probably my favorite back in that stable of backs they have, the mm-hmm. one who emerges as the best receiving threat out of the backfield, which I thought once upon a lifetime would be Keelan Robinson. That's the guy that I think ends up in that week two Charlie Potter practice report being the guy where he starts to generate a little disproportionate buzz relative to the rest of the pack. Yeah. I think explosive plays, right. As an extension of that and how much of that production you got from those wide receivers and how others benefited from them. Uh, And also it worked both ways. I mean, the threat of Najee Harris, not if you wanted Alabama to beat you with Najee Harris getting 22 carries and going for 156 yards and three touchdowns, Alabama could do that. So you still had to honor that, which still assisted some guys who didn't need a lot of help at the wide receiver position. And then the evolution of the tight end, Jalil Billingsley, obviously this season he'll be expected to produce something more along the lines of maybe a Irv Smith stat line from 2018. What about you, Tim? What's the big thing? You know, for me, I always look for those new guys. I'm excited to see James Williams, the transfer, Henry Toa Toa, two guys that can step in, not your normal, like, newcomers with the experience they've got. Heard nothing but good things about both of them. I'm always looking for those breakout freshman year. Last year, you know, we got spoiled with freshmen breaking out because we went from the, you know, eight, seven, eight years ago, you can't play as a freshman at Bama. You can't play as – a freshman at Alabama. And I think a freshman has impacted every team for, you know, for the last seven or eight years, at least, um, you know, two years ago, we saw surprises like Christian Harris. Uh, last year we saw Malachi Moore, who was a surprise. I mean, we knew guys, some guys were going to step in and play like, um, like Will Anderson. We knew guys like that would step in and play, but also the world was introduced to Tim Smith and guys like that. So I'm curious to see the freshman, which one step in that wide receiver role, I agree there. That's one I really want to see. I think there's a void and who's going to block because that's going to be the one that has, you know, the chance to get in there and get those reps. Who's going to block? Who's going to hold that edge for a, for the running game? Who's going to commit? Who's going to play on special teams? Because, you know, like Josh said, I love Jace McClellan, too. And the first look we got of Jace McClellan was where? On special teams. We saw him running down the field, making tackles. And that's where we heard we had a nugget last year. Uh, the first uh, praises I heard of J- Jace were on special teams, which is kind of odd for a running back that was, you know, pr- probably the best running back in Texas. So I'm looking forward to all those guys coming in and just seeing how they blend together. And of course, the offense, Bryce, obviously, I want to see him and, you know, what he can do. 
Pate, what about uh, maybe under the radar aspect of this 2021 Alabama team that you're you're interested to see play out in the coming weeks? Well, it's not something that's going to be on the national radar, but I think I mean people over on BOL probably follow it, and Bama fans on Twitter probably follow it. Have you ever seen a strength and conditioning sports science department as publicly open all of a sudden as Alabama seems to be and putting out charts and information, 90% of which we can't even understand, but it still just looks cool. This time last year was the time where you started even on a ground level public basis, start to hear that buzz about, boy, these dudes that Alabama brought in to replace Scott Cochran, they're the real deal. Now, people close to the program said that the minute they got there. I think we have a couple on the call right now. And so now you're out of a pandemic year where you don't have spring and it's not normal. Now you go a year and a half to two years into having those guys on campus. And I don't know if it's one individual player. I think it's the collective. It's the sum of all those parts being exposed to that new atmosphere. Najee Harris, we were just talking about him, is the perfect case study. Because I think Najee Harris' overall game got taken to a different level last year Health has a lot to do with it, but if you listen to Nick Saban talk, that's directly correlated to the changes they made in bringing in David Ballou and Matt Ray. So overall production levels of the team because of having a full year and a half into that new strength and conditioning and sports science department, that is the kind of thing that I don't think will ever be properly quantified in some stat you see scroll across the bottom line. But I thought it was imperative to them winning a title last year, and I think it'll certainly be imperative if they win another one this year. Did Nick purposefully or inadvertently shade Scott Cochran in Hoover with the the comments that he made about the sports performance and sports science improvements at Alabama last week? You know, he's well, got Saban's got some of that Urkel. Who me? <laughs> he's got that perfect. I've never heard that. What an analogy, Nick Saban and Urkel. Well, I'm saying only on the BOL. There's podcast, a lot right? of jabs that we have to discuss. If it's <laughs> accidental, now we know the guy's a highly intelligent guy. He's highly down and to the left. Yeah. So this guy, yeah, theories here they come. Highly competitive, you know, so this guy's – it's hard for me to believe he's constantly accidentally slipping up with little <laughs> I think dude's like punching you right in the mouth, one of those in the kiss or so. Um, you know, oh. think about the switch there. Uh, that night, Travis remembers, I'm sure Josh was around too, but when they hired, when Scott Cochran left, you know, you had the national take, just the awful national take. So many people should have lost their job with just one tweet, to be honest, but – Alabama's beginning of the demise. They've lost their best recruiter. Just absurd. Just stupid stuff. So, and even us, we reported that Alabama felt it was an upgrade. Now, what was interesting is even some of the Alabama fans were like, nah, you're spinning it. And we were like, no, we're not spinning it. This has been coming for two or three years with this. And uh, the funniest thing to me is when I was making calls that night, when we, you know, when we broke the news, it was going to be them, is like college coaches were like, we don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. You have to trust Nick. But NFL coaches that I spoke to, several on different NFL teams, they all know who they were. That was what I found the most interesting about those guys. Flash forward, like Josh said, you got Evan Neal doing scissor kicks and stuff. So <laughs> um, obviously an impressive group of fellas. Even Josh can't do that. Well, I don't well yeah, but I got, I got some poundage to put on. But what was funny, Travis, so after that, then we go into the total lockdown which gives coaches more times to do interviews. And so we got a couple of coaches from like, you know, the AAC Sunbelt. And then uh, Tim and Trey Scott hit me up, I think maybe in that order, and said, hey, Saban's willing to come on. I said, really? So then I asked the SID there, Josh, I asked him, will he talk about strength and conditioning? More than happy to. And I doubly said, really? And so that in and of itself told me something. <laughs> so I put it out there and said, hey, what's what's the deal with this? You guys don't seem nearly as concerned as everyone else. And he was he was dismissive, but kind of made it a point to remind everyone whether Scott Cochran left here or not. Changes were coming now in mm-hmm. some alternate universe. I'd love to know what those changes were going to be, because I, I don't think he's lying, obviously. And so they already knew they needed to make changes anyway. The message board had long since figured out they needed to make changes. Every thumbnail and, and every ingrown toenail was a result of Scott Cochran's uh, antiquated training methods at that point. But, yeah, he was not bashful and has not been bashful about talking about that, which 
only makes me speculate what those final meetings must have been like between the two. It must have been that the ever-adaptive Nick Saban was ready to go in the direction that Alabama has since. And maybe Scott was just over the whole thing of strength and conditioning. He obviously wanted to go on the field, guys, right? I think I think there was some animosity. I think there was some some friction there from every year. If you remember, every year Scott's name came up. He was going with Lane. He was going with Mario. He was going with Kirby. He was going. His name kept coming up every year. And you know, Nick Saban really doesn't like to deal with that, even though he does deal with it. But it's usually he deals with it on a once every three year level. You know, I think, you know, if you look at it, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think the average shelf life of an Alabama coach is probably about three years. When you look, you'll see Carl Scott will stay three it's like years. Dog, it's like dog years. Yeah, it's, yes. They, it's a long, <laughs> hey, it's a long three years for my guys, too. So, um, they, uh, so you have all those changes coming in, but I don't think he likes to deal with the same guy year in and year out. So I think there was some friction there. I think Scott definitely wanted to get on the field. And I don't know why when this happened, you know, the funniest thing to me is like Georgia fans are so angry. I was saying that, you know, I would say who the best strength and conditioning coaches were left in the college football world. When I didn't mention Scott Cochran, who was no longer a strength and conditioning coach, they had, they had a fit, but I don't think there was any doubt. Alabama wanted to make a change, made a great change. And I think a lot of research went into that. And also Scott Cochran got on the field. So really it was a win-win. Um, but I've always said, I thought if Alabama would have put, Nick Saban would have put Cochran on the field at Alabama, he probably would still be at Alabama. You know, as far as under the radar aspects of this Alabama team, I'll go punting the football. Someone's got to stand up for specialists on this podcast. And I'm usually the one to do that, but it simply hasn't mattered the last three or four years uh, the punting game at Alabama, but uh, with how this team could be built, looks to be built, especially early in the season, uh, a team that was last in the SEC last year in punting probably needs to step it up in that area. Maybe it's James Burnett, the Australian import that can do that. Maybe it's uh, Jack Martin, the Troy transfer. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Obviously, a lot of quarterback, about, a lot of talk about quarterbacks this time of year. It's amazing, guys, how Alabama can become the focal point of Pac-12 media days. But that appeared to be the case yesterday. David Shaw, head coach at Stanford, with some interesting comments in relation to uh, the question about Bryce Young and the seven figures that Nick Saban threw out there at the the coaching clinic in Texas a week or so ago. I thought he just instantly gifted Alabama with another hashtag for its recruiting efforts. Alabama value, he referred to it as, not market value. Uh, David Shaw also talked about schools and leagues that are being left out of the conversation and how that could, uh, you know, slow expansion in college athletics. But um, do, do these guys get that in some ways they're benefiting Alabama with some of the comments they make that in their own minds anyway might be intended to serve as dismissive in their intent, Josh? Well, it's so t- the other day, uh, I know this is going to shock a lot of the listeners, but Darren Ravel made a bad point the other day. Jonas <laughs> uh, had done his Chick-fil-A thing. And so they won the title and apparently Chick-fil-A did not come forward in the first five seconds and offer him Chick-fil-A for life. So our, our boy who from henceforth won't be named says, oh, that's terrible. Boy, Chick-fil-A's really botched it here. you got to know how to market. And I responded, you can see the lines around Chick-fil-A from space. Right. I think they perfectly have saturated the marketplace with their message. That's the same way it is with Alabama. Uh, we just made the Urkel-Saban comparison. But this is the Chick-fil-A of college football now. They don't even have to really go about proactively promoting their program, although they still do a great job of it. It's so ingrained in people's minds the answer to your question is no. So I don't think they realize it until after they say it, Travis, because what's first happening is they're just speaking the truth. David Shaw just spoke organically what's in his heart. And what's in your heart right now is Alabama value is that insanely high. Now, after it comes out of your mouth, you probably go, oops, and you look across the stage and your SIDs over there behind a curtain with his with his hand in his face. It is just shaking his head nonstop. But that's the way a lot of these folks feel. Uh, most of them don't just go right out and say verbalize it. it. Yeah. But at that point, it's like a it's like a snowball. At that point, you can just cruise control it. 
and everyone understands that's what you're working against. But yes, Alabama value, I think that's going to trend for quite a while now. Tim, is it really something, though, at this point, Alabama recruiting needs? I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't hurt, obviously, but does it need it? No, I mean, Alabama recruiting, I mean, they, they've got a system. I mean, this isn't surprising. Early on when Saban was there, I, I was talking to one of the guys in the recruiting office and went up and met with him. And they he showed me their folders. And one of the folders was the seniors, the juniors. I mean, it went back to eighth grade, and that folder was an inch and a half thick with eighth graders. I mean, this is a very – and they're updated yearly. So Josh Pate's found as an eighth grader. Then he's evaluated as a ninth grader. He's evaluated 10th grade, 11th grade. It's their system. It's their effort. It's the work that they do that makes them different, first of all. I mean, they outwork a lot of people on the recruiting trail. So it's not just some great gift for for uh, for a talent. I mean, that's hard. That's not even how the NFL works. I don't know of anybody that's just, you know, it's hard to understand everything that goes on. You can look at a kid and come up with his talent level, but there's so much outside of what you can see visibly to, to try to help figure out which direction this guy's career will go. So they simply outwork everybody, and Saban adjusts better than anybody. That's the thing that's amazing about him. You know, he literally bucks the whole, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can, he has changed um, 10 years ago. I mean, if, if you went back and, and, and started a thread on the message board about Alabama's going to be running a, basically a no huddle RPO uh, on the message board, we would be ran off our own message. board. <laughs> <laughs> they would literally want to fist fight us. Uh-huh. Where's your address, Tim? I am going to slap you. So, and, and I'd want to slap myself at the time. I didn't, I didn't expect it either, so don't get me wrong. So the change, that's what he does. He just adapt. You know, we saw it last year. Remember how many schools were filling up a class last year in March? We saw it. Tennessee had 20 commitments. We saw several schools had all these commitments. Alabama sitting out there with Deontay Lawson on an island. Bueller, Bueller, is anybody coming with me for, for six to eight weeks? They were putting their plan together. They, they they put their presentation together around new strength and conditioning coach. So, no, I don't think any of this. He doesn't need help because of, of how hard they work. And in between those four years from eighth grade to 11th grade for a lot of these kids, Alabama's mix it in just a couple of national championships and 21st round picks. I think those things probably don't hurt all that much either. Hey, um, so, again, kind of what we heard coming out of – Pac-12 media days was almost, Josh, it felt like this assertion, uh, that's fine. SEC's going to add Oklahoma, Texas, um, but we will have a response, I believe the wording was. Ross Dellinger of SI.com and some of his reporting here in the last day or so. How did you take that, Josh? Did you take that as we may be looking at a Pac-12, Big Ten type partnership? I mean, they might as well be. The Big Ten pretty much tells the Pac-12 when to to use the bathroom it seems like um how did you interpret that sort of assertion anyway well it, the difference uh, one of many but a glaring difference between the pac-12 commissioner's statements who's been on the job about 45 seconds at this point versus what greg sankey can say if he wants to is one is speaking from a position of authority one is a decision maker one is a power player the other has to be purely reactive and so the pac-12 you got to toss out those generic statements because what else can you say? You're not going to be the one that puts pen to paper on any of these ideas and signs off on them. But I, I will say this. I know there's a lot of sentiment out there that the most popular choice would be a Big 12, Pac-12 merger. And geographically, I understand that makes sense. But geography, Travis, goes out the window when the SEC footprint is about to touch Colorado to begin with. So I think we're long past those acronyms holding up geographically. Now, I think that partnership absolutely comes in play. And remember a year ago, it probably is about a year ago, almost to the date, that's when we were talking about the Big Ten pulling the parachute and they're going to opt out of the season, uh, non-reversible decision, by the way, according to their statement. And then about 14, 15 minutes later, there are the rumblings from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've forgotten that. I certainly don't think they've forgotten because – we, we were talking about Deontay Lawson Island. That would have been total Big Ten Island had the Pac-12 not followed along. So that partnership, it's existed for, it seems like, centuries. And I think it only makes sense at this point because if you're going to send your teams to travel to Oklahoma and Kansas to play, you might as well send them to Iowa and Ohio to play. 
Yeah, that seems to be the direction anyway. And then it it almost feels like the remnants of the Big 12 post-OU and Texas. It's like the dance partner no one wants to be paired up with. I mean, even the ACC at this point, you know, I'm, I'm not sure you look at what's left of the Big 12 and go, oh, yeah, we're all in, which brings in the possibility, guys, of the SEC, now that it is gone further, even solidified itself out west, so to speak. Does future additions, in your opinions, come from the east? And with that, I got a would you rather scenario. If it does move back to the east, the focus, would you rather see the SEC, if it took two teams from the ACC, would you rather see FSU Clemson or would you rather see Duke North Carolina potentially? Me, I'm always going to be a FSU Clemson guy. Obviously, with Dabo. There's a Southern, obviously they're in the South, but there's a Southern SEC feel to that team. Uh, I grew up like, you know, like you did. Josh was still in his diapers, but FSU was always <laughs> an awesome team to watch, you know, and, and, and a fun team to be a part of. So they sort of fit in more with what we're doing. But if you're looking for a different type vibe, I mean, it's going to be hard to, you know, you're going to see some of these, you know, I'm excited with Texas and Texas A&M alone. When that right. ended, when they left the SEC, it was intense. And I knew that, of course, I knew the rivalry was intense. But when they weren't playing, that's when the everybody was holding me back, holding me back. So there was a lot of trash talk there. Um, also, to see them again, because the Aggies have spent, you know, a few years now saying we're in the SEC and you're not, nine nine a boo-boo. And then Texas is like, boom, guess who showed up for dinner? So they're going to be coming over here. Also, I think that also helps. You know, I've always felt that Texas A&M coming to the SEC – helped Alabama from a recruiting angle because there is no more. Your mom is not going to see your play. Your people aren't going to see you play because you know you're going to be going to the state of Texas. So when you add the Longhorns, I think it actually opens up their state even more to recruiting. Um, and they've had a lot of talent leave. So for me, I can see the mixed bag. I mean, I'd like to see Texas and Florida. You know, I'd like to see Oklahoma and Alabama. There's a lot of matchups I'd like to see. Me personally, I lean to Clemson, FSU. Uh, obviously, FSU is a top three national program right now with Alabama and Ohio State. So a lot of talent you could add there. I'd like to see what they could do on a weekly basis because we've heard the talk that they do really well. I'd like to see that. Yeah, Josh, I think I'd throw out Duke UNC really from a branding perspective. I mean, you want to talk about iconic brands, obviously more so, if not entirely so, from a basketball perspective. And if you're the SEC, you're considering a well-rounded league, uh, but FSU's brand still resonates enough, I guess, even with the sort of catastrophic stretch that the Seminoles have been through here of late. Certain Clemson has emerged uh, as a national brand here of late. What are what's your opinion on just a, a hypothetical, a potential scenario of an either-or FSU, Clemson, or Duke, North Carolina? That one for me is well, you know, you guys know I can barely spell basketball, so that for me is FSU Clemson <laughs> by ten miles. But Travis, you know, if we were to even put ourselves in a TV executive or conference commissioner or old guy with white hair and a lot of money who has bought himself a seat at the table position to sign off on one of these, I, this is not ten years ago, man. Like I feel totally comfortable with the SEC's place in the basketball world right now. Mm -hmm. I think what happened, and it's, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist because I figured it out. What happened was when that TV money exploded in college football and college athletics, but specifically college football, it was not hard to see what was around the corner. And what was around the corner is all these programs down here had so much money. Some of them can't spend it all if they try to. And so all of a sudden they just kind of collectively look around and say, what else do we have over here? Hey, you guys want to get good at basketball? And everyone invested in basketball. And now you got several programs down here perennially on the kinds of polls that you never used to see them to where I would look. And 10 years ago, I'd say we can have Duke, North Carolina in the conference. That's awesome. Now you look and you say, I mean, we'll, we'll be fine with them or without them. I'll tell you, out of all of those programs you mentioned, though, I think the one that would be the most disproportionately negatively impacted would actually be North Carolina. Because there is no SEC presence, at least geographically, in that state right now. And Mac Brown made all the noise they made last year by locking down that state's recruiting to a large degree. And 
once you get the SEC in that state more so than they are unnaturally, uh, I think that would I think that would take a crowbar to the proverbial shins of North Carolina far more so than Texas joining the league's ever going to do to Texas A&M. Duke UNC that feels more Big Tenish to me. Is that the vibe you get? I mean, almost like you know a Maryland to the Big Ten type vibe, and and sort of the high horse that the Big Ten finds itself upon when it comes to academics and ethics, and just feels more Big Tenish to me, I guess, with Duke North Carolina. Yeah, you read that statement, and your pinky was extended away from the glass. <laughs> you were very careful not the to golf get clap at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. So keep that sweater vest clean while you say those words. But yes, that's a, that's exactly what it is. I can see every one of the nose hairs when you arched your face up to look down <laughs> it at me as you as you uh, proclaim those words. Yes. Oh gosh, they'd have to take the uh, you know they got picnic benches right outside Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill. If you're going to be in the SEC. You got to get those picnic benches out of the immediate proximity of the <laughs> of the gridiron. You know that's uh, you just can't have picnic benches right outside the stadium. Crying out loud! Hey, OU in Texas, it's happening. I guess the time frame, guys, is a little bit up for debate. All the wording from the SEC and OU in Texas and their joint statement has been very much centered on 2025 because. As we know, Oklahoma and Texas committed to media rights through 2025. But Josh, how realistic is that, in your opinion? What what time frame are we really looking at? Do you think for these two to go ahead and jump on board in the SEC and 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 get things rolling with the league? These well, these are people who treat their their net worth like oxygen. I mean, that's the first, middle, and last thing they ever want to brag about if there's a topic of conversation. So. If we've gone to the links to get out of the Big 12 and we've gone to the links to get in the SEC and then the SEC has gone to the links to make it happen, I, it, it is very – I'll say it this way. It is very hard for me to envision a scenario where they allow money to be the thing that gets in the way. I don't care if there's nine figures on it. I don't think that's what's going to stand in the way. And then you start to get whispers of from various people out in the Lone Star State. Oklahoma just kind of sits back and waits for someone to pay the tab. But people in Texas will tell you. Oh, we got the money, baby. I mean, we've watched the 30 for 30, so we understand. We got the money. Just make it happen. Just sign the paper, and then we'll take care of the rest. I don't think there's a prayer that lasts till 2025. Recruiting, Tim, what does this uh, two-way effect, in your opinion? Um, does it open Georgia, Florida, uh, maybe even Alabama up to Oklahoma and Texas? Uh, does it... Does it negate Alabama's effectiveness out in Texas to some extent, in your opinion? How do you envision all this being impacted on the recruiting front? You know, I think it helps Alabama and Texas. Alabama doesn't recruit a lot in Oklahoma, but they have recruited players from the state of Oklahoma. Um, Texas, I think, again, you know, you, the old sales pitch was your parents aren't going to get to see you. Blah, you know, you're never you know, that was always the coaches trying to keep you at home. Versus the coaches trying to get you out of any state. Uh, so I think it helps there. Um, I don't think Florida's always been, Georgia's always been open. Found it interesting that last year in the offseason, Oklahoma came, became a little bit of a version of an SEC team when they got like, was it three Tennessee transfers? Is it, I know, was it three or two? They got Eric Gray, they got. No, it's, it's at least three. Yeah, they, uh, the tackle, the running back, and the corner, I believe, from Tennessee. They of that influx of the SEC anyways, and I'd say Oklahoma's, you know, offensively is kind of similar to an SEC, and I think their uh, defense is improving. So uh, I don't know what it means. I don't think it can hurt a program like Texas. I think they're they're struggling to find their identity and have been for since Colt got hurt. God bless him. But um, I'm curious to see what this does for Oklahoma because they really were – in the you know in the in the in they were in the best position they were they were almost the Clemson uh, they were the Clemson of the of the Big Twelve they had a road where they had to beat one team usually to get to that that uh, playoff game to the uh, championship game to get to the playoff they were by far 
to me, the best, most not the best, but the most talented team there. So this definitely puts it more of a challenge because they're definitely be going against a, another level of competition that they didn't see week in and week out on, uh, you know, as far as the top end team. So for me, Oklahoma loses a little bit <clears throat> as far as they were already in a great position. And for Texas, to me, they can only go up trying to find an identity. And again, I'm excited to see what this means for Texas and Texas A&M. That rivalry over the last seven or eight years has been one of the funnest ones I've followed. So I'm really excited to see that. But overall, I don't think recruiting – I mean, I still think getting a kid to go to Oklahoma from Florida is a hard pitch unless he's going for football. And Oklahoma already recruits nationally. They've got the – I think he's a five-star quarterback committed from California. So Oklahoma's already recruiting on a national level. So they weren't scared of Florida and those other places to begin with. Yeah, Oklahoma's cherry-picked a little bit in Florida in the past. Uh, Hollywood Brown, the wide receiver, a few years back. Um, what about it, Josh? Because I know you've talked about on, on recent episodes of Late Kick how the state of Florida has just been wide open to, well, Alabama has done extensive damage, as we know, uh, throughout the state of Florida. You can pick your areas, northeast Florida, south Florida, uh, the Panhandle. Uh, is it, is it, is it UF that should be most concerned about Texas and, and Oklahoma coming into the league now? Uh, yeah, you, I think you could put it that way. The part of this I've been more focused on is the entire notion that Texas coming to the SEC is going to solve the Texas recruiting woes, if you want to call it that. And I don't buy into that at all. And the reason I don't buy into it is because I don't think the limiting factor has ever been Texas being in the Big 12 or Texas A&M having the SEC advantage over them because Ohio State's come into Texas and done just fine, and they are neither in the Big 12 nor in the state of Texas, and they're not in the SEC either. So I think it falls on speed. Like, that's who it falls on. And so I, I independent of all the other stuff, there's a truck cranking up next to me. That's why I sound uh, independent of all the other minutia. The, the rest of the SEC is going to recruit fine regardless. But I am fascinated to see if this immediate recruiting bump that Texas expects to happen is what comes into play because recruiting has not been poor there to begin with. It's, it, it's the player development, which is not a mystery unto anyone, and that doesn't get solved by slapping a new helmet sticker on the side of your helmet. Yeah, I think the, the, the reverse of this is going to be beneficial. I, I think you know programs like Ole Miss you know, could really benefit from this. Um, you know, more so mid-level type of uh, uh, SEC teams, maybe Auburn to an extent. I'm guessing Harson during his time at Boise State probably had some interaction in the state of Texas. I mean, most of these most of these teams have anyway. Hey, we're going to step aside for a quick break here on the Bama Online Podcast as we wind down today's program with special guest Josh Pate of Late Kick. And also, of course, Tim Watts, site publisher for BamaOnline.com. We'll run through a list of potential winners and losers. Get the guys' thoughts on that when the Bama Online podcast returns right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Back with more of a Wednesday edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, joined by site publisher Tim Watts and our special guest today, Josh Pate of Late Kick. Everybody knows Josh. So, guys, I'm going to run down a gauntlet here of potential winners and losers with this Texas OU thing and the SEC and just get your quick thoughts on each of these individuals or and or entities, I guess, but Let's start with Lincoln Riley because we talked a lot about Oklahoma. Um, you think about the path that Lincoln has had to the college football playoff uh, as a Big 12 representative. Uh, and you consider, too, expansion coming to the college football playoff, going to 12 teams. But the big picture of all this, Josh, is Lincoln Riley a winner or a loser? Well, the only question with them is, is it a net 
upgrade, downgrade, or non-factor for them defensively. And, and it's at the very worst a non-factor. At the best, it's an upgrade. They were already trending in the right direction. Uh, they were already – this would be the first year of this era, but I thought they had already entered territory where they could compare very favorably on a playoff field uh, with the big boys. I, I don't mean I'd favor them. I mean they would compete very favorably with them this year, I believe. And they worked at that for two years. That wasn't going to be an overnight microwave fix. But when you talk about looking at the teams that win it, LSU 19, Bama 20, the explosive offense is, of course, a prerequisite, and they've got that. But having enough waves and enough depth, quality depth, especially in the defensive front, that's something they've never had out there. In some cases, they didn't have a one deep of guys that fit that description. And now they will have that. And coming into this league certainly does nothing to uh, deteriorate that effort. And if anything, I think it, it may add a little layer of that onion. But what's going to be interesting, not that this should matter, but what's going to be interesting is if it does come to pass that Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma don't do their best winning until they get down here, I think there'll be some dissenting voice way off in the back that says, well, you guys only won because you came to the SEC. I mean, many teams have won in the SEC. If you were a real boss, you would have won out in the Big 12. Now, that, of course, is ludicrous. But there will be someone who says that. But I don't think it hurts anything at Oklahoma. They were already primed. I think they're far more primed to do this than Texas is, even though they don't reside in nearly as talent-rich a state. Tim, what about it with uh, Steve Sarkeesian, the other football coach in this equation now with OU and Texas? Uh, Already walks into a situation in Austin where expectations are extremely high. Um if it somehow plays out that this union with OU and Texas isn't able to come to pass until 2025, I frankly, I, I even have to wonder if these guys are still going to be in their current positions, but for the here and now, assuming it's quicker than what's being put out there, the transition is Steve Sarkeesian a winner or a loser in this. You know, I don't know. I'm torn on both of them, really, Oklahoma and Texas. When I look at Oklahoma, like I said earlier, they had everything they needed to get to the college football playoffs every year. Um, they were already in a good position. They do get to compete. If you're, you know, if you're, uh, you know, the head coach and the coaching staff, you're obviously going to have to do a little bit more work with the different styles and teams. <clears throat> and the SEC has so many different styles and so many different skill sets. And so I think it changes from that standpoint with Texas. I, I feel like it gives it. They make up some ground with Texas A and M, but I'm not sure overall how much how much good it's going to do. Anytime, what I've noticed is anybody that hires a former Alabama coach as a head coach, no matter who it is, there's a certain expectation of them winning right then. I mean, Kirby Smart uh, went into a much better situation, but they've expected. You've seen how they've reacted. He's had a pretty good career as a first time coach. When you look at it, when a lot of games been ranked high, recruited well, but the fans are really anxious for them, them to win. Tennessee hired Jeremy Pruitt, and they instantly, I mean, literally last March, there was more trash talking towards Alabama than I've ever seen. Pruitt was the one behind the program. Firmly, Kirby was behind the program. Mario's behind, the, you know, everybody was behind the program. So I think the expectations there are really, really high to begin with. They want a new thing. And then you add the, the Alabama factor, Jeff Banks, Kyle Flood went with them too. So I think they're in a, they're in a dangerous position. They walk into this class, pretty good class. And they have the number one player in the country and Quinn Ewers decommit earlier. He ends up at Ohio state. I personally thought they were going to push and try to build that relationship. Cause it was very similar to say a, uh, AJ McCarron or not quite as strong, but similar to a uh, Brody Croyle, where you had almost a legacy feel from a guy that had grown up, had been committed there to build that relationship. Instead, they apparently let Quinn go, signed a, you know, committed a quarterback from California. So I think they're sort of stuck right now in neutral. So this could go either way for me with Texas. I think they could be a big winner. I don't know if it'll be with Sarkeesian or with another coaching staff. I guess that's to be determined. Uh, but I think in the long in the in the you know in the long con in the long game, I think this is a better move for Texas. Now in the short term, I don't know. Texas A and M's, you know, obviously you're battling a pretty good team in your own state. Jim Fisher's a good Jimbo Fisher's a good coach, a lot of excitement, got good recruiting going on there. So you're already battling them. And again, you're opening up you know, your state even more so to some of the best recruiting teams in the country. 
Yeah, I think Sark and UT are a loser in this, um, just from a football perspective. And I think it certainly heightens the stakes for the Longhorns in that Arch Manning sweepstakes that's coming up here in the next year or so. So what about Nick Saban, Pate? Um, talked about it with Charlie Potter on the Monday pod here on the BOL podcast. I guess from your vantage point, you can assign some credit or blame to Nick Saban for what's happening to the collegiate athletics landscape with OU and Texas now uh, in the SEC being a part of that. Does all this just further cement his legacy uh, in your opinion, Pate, Nick Saban, or does it maybe potentially make life tougher for him moving forward? I think it makes life a lot tougher for new members moving forward. I don't think it makes life any tougher. Travis, the reason I don't think it makes life a whole lot tougher is because out of 14 coaches in this league, there's been one beating the drum to expand the conference schedule to begin with, and it's the one we're talking about. It hadn't been anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so he's not been backing away despite a, a semi-popular public narrative. Uh, they've wanted competition. And he, Nick Saban, I mean, anyone who's listened to him talk – has never struck me as the kind of guy who wants to back away from anything. This is a guy who has NFL roots. So he's used to playing equal competition 16 Sundays in a row. I, I know that I know they've got razor sharp focus, but it's got to do something to you a little bit differently when you check the Saturday schedule and you got the Mercer bears coming in town. So I think it excites the census competitively, but then on the other side, when you're talking about legacy, yeah, Because this is the kind of thing you could sit around at family reunion like I do, sit out on the dock on Lake Widawi, and you just slowly unpack all the impact he's had. You could go anywhere from the amount of careers he's thrown off the rails of other (laughs) head coaches, starting all the way with Bowden back at Clemson and Phil Fulmer. And then you can shift it to what kind of overarching changes has he had to the game? And the funny part is he's kind of tried to reverse psychologically attack it. He's tried to get out in front of it. He's been on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, He's 95% of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. These things are coming. I'm warning you they're coming. And then they come anyway. What's funny is you start to listen to Dabo at Clemson and he's trying to do the same thing. He's trying to speak it into non-existence. And in this case, I'm pulling for him because I agree with him in a lot of cases, but yeah, the impact, I'm going to use a big word here. So let me say it very slow. The impact is incalculable. There we go. There you go. That's a new word here on this podcast. can promise you that. Hey, Tim, we talked about it a little bit ago with maybe some of the mid-level programs in the SEC. So for coaches like Josh Heupel coming in uh, at Tennessee, and he has roots to, to OU, obviously, in that part of the country, and uh, Lane Kiffin maybe at Ole Miss, maybe even Mike Leach at Mississippi State, having spent time out in West Texas uh, at Texas uh, tech, um, you know, I guess more so from ability to build their rosters in a way in which they can be more consistently competitive with the top four or so in this league, especially when you start talking about the expansion. Um, does this help them or do you think this just puts them further behind the eight ball a little bit? No, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, this is tough. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at Ole Miss, I think Lane Kiffin knows how to how to get talent. It might not, not always be highly ranked talent, but I think he recruits well for his system. Opening up Texas is certainly going to help him. Um, we remember Lane Kiffin was at Tennessee, and he certainly didn't mind recruiting nationally. So I think anytime you give him an uh, you know a leg up, uh, I think you know I think you have to be careful. He's a smart guy. He makes things happen. Uh, with Leach, I'm still I'm still curious to see what's going to happen at Mississippi State. I mean. You know, we knew he's a little bit different. He might be one of those guys that excels a little bit better in those programs that a lot of people don't see. There wasn't a lot of people that watched him at Texas Tech. There wasn't a lot of people that watched him at Washington State. You know, that's why we, when he ended up in the SEC, everybody was blown away because they were finally YouTubing some of his plays and some of the stuff he did. So for him, I don't think any of this necessarily helps. I mean, I think he's still trying to figure out um, – exactly how he's going to do it. And I think he's one of those coaches that's going to, you know, there's a, there's always a coach that like stars don't matter. I'm just, give me 11, give me 11. I'm going to beat you with them. And I think uh, in some cases, like with Dan Mullen, I think that's a lot of his philosophy. I think he focuses more on coaching than recruiting. I think Florida fans, Gator fans would agree with me right now. Um, They seem pretty hot with them a lot of times, but he focuses on the coaching 
aspect, and I, th- and I think he does a good job. I think Leach is going to fall in that category, too. I just think there's a lot to be determined there. How about uh, Jimbo Fisher, Pate? How do you view him in all this? He got hit with this at Media Days last week and actually seemed pretty excited about it. He, he didn't seem put off at all. You know, for a guy who took over for Bobby Bowden, for me to say this is the biggest challenge of his career sounds pretty crazy. But I think it's going to end up being the biggest – I don't like using the word psychological ever, yet this is a third time already. It is the biggest psychological challenge of his career. I don't say that lightly, but – when you have listened, if you've listened to the the angst and like consternation, those people are very bitter out there. I mean, very, I've never seen a comment section light up <laughs> like I have the videos we put out about Texas or Texas A&M with, again, Oklahoma just kind of leaned up against a post over in the corner whistling, just asking, all right, when do you need us to pack our bags? But Travis, independent of Texas, we could ask the question about Jimbo and Texas A&M's mid to long term right now anyway they're already we're already asking that question Uh, a lot of it has to do with watching them offensively and wondering is there a different page are there tweaks they need to make and this is not a guy prone to many tweaks to his system Uh, but you watched a quarterback out there who felt like he was drawing AARP mail in Kellen Mond and was what he was and if you you know if you promote yourself or you are promoted as a quarterback whisperer you really expect quantum 20% year-over-year improvement at the quarterback position. And Kellen Mom was not a bad player at all. But if Jimbo Fisher is who he is marketed to be, that quarterback race and that quarterback position there, and then in turn their offense, there is a gear it's got to hit that it clearly has not hit yet. And what, what the reason I'm talking about them is because I do not think there's some imaginary leash that connects from College Station to Austin anymore. This is not a conference that Texas is joining that is going to be tilted to give them any kind of disproportionate advantage. And that is independent of what kind of conspiracy theory you hear out of Texas A&M. If they underachieve, it's on them. It's not on them and Texas. Uh, What I think the biggest fear is, is a lot of those folks lived in that shadow for so long. Uh, You can go back several conferences worth. They lived in that shadow for so long, they hear ghosts and they look over their shoulder and there's nothing there, but you can't convince someone who is is, uh, buying into it that there's nothing there. But my biggest questions about AM have nothing to do with Texas. If they are a winner or a loser in this, I think it's going to be totally independent of Texas. However, Texas and the SEC westward expansion will probably be to blame if they do end up being a loser in this. I think Jimbo's a winner because I think the standard goes back to we got to beat Texas, right? And shifts from more of you got to beat Nick Saban in Alabama. I mean, obviously, that's what Jimbo's being paid 75 over 10 to do, but there is a soft landing here if you're A&M and you don't get it done. Let's say this season, Texas A&M doesn't beat Alabama on October 9th. Probably wouldn't be a bad thing, right, to have the Longhorns in College Station on Thanksgiving night uh, the month later to sort of soften that blow, Josh? No, that's a good point. And the other way to think about that is when Nick Saban arrived at Alabama, you could either tell people it was the darkest day in the history of Auburn football, or you could say Auburn's going to win a national title in three years. And will they ever have won a national title by any means necessary if Nick Saban had not come (laughs) to Alabama? Would they have ever fired the national title winning coach two years later? If Nick Saban wasn't at Alabama, would they have then gone to the SEC title and another national title three years after that? If Nick Saban wasn't at Alabama, that standard and that that increased pressure, it is a real thing. And Texas A&M is a lot better position, I think, and more stable as a program, certainly than Auburn was back then. And so, yeah, I uh, the more I think about it, I'm changing my answer, which you told me I could do once. So I'm going to call. Well, it and, and it's interesting, the analogy that you're using there because I think that probably bothers A&M people in all this. They don't like being perceived as the Auburn to, you know, Alabama uh, when it comes to Texas in, in their own state. Right. I mean, that's where the salt really comes from. Well, they've got to stop. I mean, I'll just say it like it is. They've got to stop acting like it then. Uh, there's a yeah. reason. There's a reason why that little brother I, syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, you can you can tell me uh, don't call me little brother. But then if all you do is gripe and complain about what uh, the alleged big brother does, 
well, where else am I supposed to go with that? Mm-hmm. Hey, as we get out of here, need to consider hoops and some other sports and all this. So, Tim, I'm going to ask you about Nate Oates uh, and the Alabama men's basketball program. What does this mean, in your opinion, for UA hoops? Is good buddy Chris Beard moving over from Texas Tech to take over as the head coach at Texas? Uh, we've had a coaching change in Norman. Lon Kruger stepping down, headed into retirement. Of course, Alabama made that trip to Norman last season as a part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge, took a defeat there on the road. What about Nate Oates and all this and Alabama hoops? You know, he just strikes me as a guy that don't give a crap. You know, I think <laughs> he's – I just think that's a very confident group over there. I think that he's up. I mean, we've seen uh, some bravado there, not false bravado. I mean, the guy is – you know, he believes in what he believes. I think he loves the challenge, goes out and schedules Gonzaga. You know, that's <laughs> that is definitely – got to like a challenge. That's a – that's a monster of a team and bringing in the number one recruit in the nation to boot. So I don't think it's going to, you know, hurt. I mean, they're recruit on the national level, do a great job. Um, the efforts there, they find gems, you know, Primo was a, was a really, a, was a great find. He's going to end up going to me, possibly higher in the NBA than even we, we think with that NBA draft. I think Primo is going to be a guy where you're, you're looking to invest three years to get, you know, you know, a, a high quality guy. So I don't think he'd be scared one bit. I think the, <clears throat> I think the attraction of going to Texas again to play, that's a big deal. That's always been a big deal. And if you remember, it used to be like when we were growing up, there would be teams that would schedule a game with a, with, a, with an opponent that was near a kid they were recruiting. Cause you know, you know, you'd have a guy that would go play Florida so that they could come see him. Um, in that state and get a good look at him. You know, recruiting was so different back then with basketball. That's when Billy Donovan was uh, was waiting outside the door, even though he couldn't talk to him, of David Lee, every one of his classes each day. David Lee came out of class and Billy Donovan was there. So anytime you get people to see you, um, you know, from out of state. So if you're recruiting a kid in Texas and Alabama is able to go to Texas and have that kid come to the game and see them, that's almost like an unofficial visit, even though it's not their campus, but you're getting to see that program up close and personal. Well, there you go. Some potential winners and losers from this OU Texas to the SEC scenario. Guys, that's all I got for you. I hope that was enough, but if you got anything you want to throw in here, this is a uh, last call. This is, 150 on a 150 a.m. on a late night, maybe in Nashville, Tennessee. Anything else, gang? I'd like to say I made Josh a little bit more of a man this last week than he oh, was wow. the week before. How did that happen? Yeah, I'd love, I'd love for you to finish the sentence instead of keeping it <laughs> like that. I, I like the long pause, and we'll see y'all next week, folks. <laughs> I'm gonna let and that's a wrap for the BOL podcast. How that that manhood came about, but. He watched the show. I think I'm trying to get Travis to watch. I've never pushed it, but that show Barry on HBO. I had to like, yeah. I had to text him Barry, Barry, uh-huh. Barry, like ten times, uh-huh. and finally he watched it. Ran through sixteen episodes in three to four days. He was breaking down. He was busy, Tim. He was breaking down A and M South Carolina from last year. No, Josh, Josh, Josh with me. That's a bolts guy, Josh. Josh Pace. and I always head into each conversation skeptical of the other one. You'll <laughs> love. Well, I mean, I, will I? Will I, Tim? Will I love this show? You'll love it. I the buildups too much. How many protein shakes has Pate put down during the course of this podcast? Do you think, Tim? I don't know, but I guarantee within six inches is a big jug of water. We love awesome. Josh Pate. You know why we love Josh Pate? It's because he stacks his plates when he's done with them, yeah. right, Josh? That's absolutely accurate. So uh, let me answer a few. Let me answer a few questions here. Uh, if, if Watts has seen the scouting report on his own self, he understands the skepticism. Number two, we've had two protein shakes. Number three, I hate <laughs> to say, I mean, this is a true blind squirrel, b- broken clock situation, but the show is phenomenal. I, I ran through it like it was a, an illegal substance. It is a phenomenal show. So I will endorse this and this only Tim Watts recommendation. There you Josh, go. Josh ran through it like a cycle of PEDs, <laughs> which he's also ran through, I'm suspecting, after seeing him in that white shirt in person. That's a large. If anyone wonders, that is a large. Yes, in the kids' department. A large. I'm telling you it's Look, a different large. Yeah. What, what department is that a large, Pate? Do I mean, we, need, we don't need to get into semantics. That's not important. The, the <laughs> it's fact, it, it is a large, large on the tag. We actually run this show backwards because this is the best part. 
We're in. Oh, yeah, I know. I'll I'll have to do some creative editing. Yeah, we appreciate Josh coming on. He does a great Absolutely. Alabama fans love him. Every fan should love him. He speaks his truth um, and does a really good job of being an original voice. I enjoy the show each week. Absolutely. Been doing it a long time and uh, great to see him at the uh, the national level now, Josh Pate, getting it done. Hey, Josh, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it, guys. It was it was fun. No lie. It was very, very fun. Well, we'll have you back soon. That's the that's the parting gift. If you do good, then we bug you, you know, in the future. And uh we do as a we also have a, a deal with Haynes, so we will have some white t shirts coming your way as a part good of deal. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Tim Watts made that happen. Hey Tim, we'll do it again soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. For Josh Pate and Tim Watts, Travis Rowe, thanking you for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast if you haven't already. Anywhere you consume podcasts, you can do that. Leave us a rating and a review. We would appreciate that as well. Until next time, so long, everybody.